Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into a college basketball edition of Full Slate on this second Saturday in December. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by my college basketball co-host. I know him as Bill, but you know him as Larry's Locks on gambling Twitter. Find all of his picks. Give him a follow as well and uh, get in touch with him about his cards at Larry's Locks 2 as we are couple weeks into the college basketball season now, and we're going to try and pump one out a week. Took a little longer than usual this week. Uh, we like to try and do these in the middle of the week, but hey, there's still plenty of games to discuss on Saturday, and so we're going to run through them now. Bill, it's good to have you aboard again. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. It was a nice week of college basketball, despite uh, Coach K's comments and decision of not playing a non-conference schedule. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you see me commenting left and right about that, how 
disgusted I am by his decision. Um, but nonetheless, you know, as I'm pretty sure you follow John Ralstein as well, you know, he's always tweeting out the percentage of teams that are still playing and the percentage of games that are still happening. So I'm not going to sit here and complain about it because we're still getting a ton of good basketball to watch. Yeah, so let's talk about that, and we're going to get into plenty of picks here on the show because we are a gambling podcast. But let's spend the first five, ten minutes just talking about the week that was in college basketball, and obviously it was dominated by the headlines with Coach K and Duke canceling the rest of its non-conference games, and, and Nate Oates, the coach at Alabama, took a shot at Coach K. Uh, and, you know, I realize that obviously Nate Oates is a much younger guy, but um, – I, when I first heard those comments, like, I agree with them. I mean, this is yeah. a Duke program that is Duke and Kentucky, a couple of Blue Bloods that have really been off to some slow starts. And then I, I think as with any sport right now, at any level almost, when you start hearing coaches and administration start starting to complain about COVID and just kind of the circumstances of 2020, it's almost always a team that has gotten out of the gate on the wrong foot. Or, right. or just for one reason or another, the circumstances uh, become the excuse if you're not playing well. And listen, I realize that they don't get their packed Cameron Indoor Stadium and they lost the two games against the Big Ten opponents because of, you could argue, well, I don't want to say because of that, because that would take things away from Michigan State and Illinois. But at the same time, you know, and so I do realize you're talking about young kids that certainly aren't getting the experience that they signed up for when they mm-hmm. committed to Duke. But, I mean, come on. Like, it's the same circumstances for everybody. Exactly. You know, it's a Coach K that, I mean, he's just been around the block and I mean, what's it, 40 years at Duke now almost? Mm -hmm. Like, it it just feels ridiculous that he, of all coaches, would be the one. If anything, it feels like it would be the other way around where, you know, an 8-0 who is in, what, his second or third season at Alabama, like, he would be the one that would kind of be whining a little bit about the circumstances, and Coach K would be the one that would say, hey, you know, I've been doing this so long, you know, just something we got to deal with this year. But no, uh, not the way it's been going, and obviously that dominated the headlines in college basketball. I didn't see a lot of your tweets, so I'm curious (laughs) the rest of your thoughts on the whole thing. Well, so if we go back real quick to whatever the first – uh, time we did the podcast before the season started, and we were doing our conference previews, I had mentioned Duke as my team uh, that was going to be a letdown in the ACC. Uh, yeah. I'm, I stated the fact that the, they're not going to have Cameron Indoor, they're not going to have their crazies there for them, and it's going to prove to be a difference maker. You know, people want to sit there and say the crowd really doesn't have that much of an effect. I mean, it does, and in a place like that where the fans are literally on top of you and it has that aura around it, it affects them. And I mean, it's pretty obvious the way that they've come out of the gate playing at home and not having that type of uh, atmosphere there. But to go back to his comments and, and his decision, uh, to me, it, it's, it's a cop-out. Uh, the fact that he was quoted – prior to this season, towards the end of last season, after, you know, the decision was made by the NCAA not to have the tournament, how he said, you know, we cannot go another year without the NCAA tournament, to then turn around and say, oh, I'm just not going to play these non-conference games. <laughs> to, to me, number one, because the only one that's really affected just yet is Gardner-Webb, right? Because the rest of them aren't going to happen until later. Um, right. That should be a forfeit. There is absolutely no reason why he – gets to decide, oh, we're just not going to play and it not be a factor and it's just going to be a canceled game and move on with it. No, that should be a forfeit. That team, Gardner-Webb, no word from them, but they were ready to play. 
They weren't the ones that decided to cancel the game. If you're going to decide to cancel the game for a reason that literally every single team in the country is dealing yeah. with, is yeah. bullshit. Um, yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and like, everybody wants to sit there and say, like, oh, well, you know, it's because they lost those two games. And I, I think that does play a part in it. But, again, I'll go back to what I the comments that I made prior to the season. Like, I could see this coming. He, he is that type of quote-unquote leader in my mind where he's always – got an excuse. He's always being complaining. And at the end of the day, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from his coaching. I mean, he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. You've never really been a Coach K guy then. Well, no, I've always respected what he's done. You know, I yeah. mean, anybody that's gotten to that level, they know what they're doing, right? But as far as like his character, I, I, I just don't, I just don't agree with it. I mean, to, to put, to, if you're the leader, right? And you, and again, you're dealing with the same thing everybody else is dealing with across the country. And all these young guys, you mentioned um, Coach from Bama, those guys looked up to him, right? Like, even if you don't right. really, really like him, they look up to him, they respect him. Well, that's so a good point. Him, like, how many coaches do you think across the country were feeling similar sentiments to Nate Oates? And just didn't want to speak up because oh, it was Coach oh, K. That a ton, a ton of that. Did you, I don't know if you saw um, what was tweeted out. There was like an anonymous source that said um, it was another coach, I believe, within the conference. And they said, what do you think about Nate Oates' comments? And he goes, well, I guarantee you the NCAA is on campus, and he's basically a dead man walking. That's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, some of these coaches hold some high powers within within uh, college basketball. But really, for a guy who's just stating, in my opinion, facts – uh, I don't think right. that's fair to the young guy. And again, like you said, everybody's dealing with it. What, what makes Duke so special that all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to make this decision. We're not going to play any non-conference games anymore. That's just, and then he's just going to send the kids home, right? It's not like he's keeping them bubbled up and the, keep all he all he wants to do is preach how safe we want to be. Well, you're sending the kids home. They're going to be traveling, and again, they're college kids. Do you really think? that when they get sent home, that they're just going to sit in their house with their family and not do anything? <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be real. They're, they have more restrictions while they're on campus being under, you know, under the supervision of Coach K and, and his uh, staff than they do when they're going out to all these different states they're from and stuff like that. I mean, it's a complete cop-out. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm just actually – I can't believe I want to say this, but I'm proud of the NCAA up to this point at least because – I feel like he thought him making those comments was going to be a domino effect. And, like, everybody was going to agree with him. And the NCAA was going right. to say, yeah, I guess you're right. We do have a problem. You know, kudos to them for sticking it out and everybody else just continuing to play ball. Yeah, um, that's a good point because I feel like he he probably had to look at that and say, well, I'm Coach K. You know, who's going to really yeah. step up and challenge me? So good for Nate Oates. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it. Look, he's in a tough spot, and he probably he probably didn't want to say it, and I think he probably his emotions just got to him, and that's why he let it out. But hey, again, it's to me, it's facts, and the fact that nobody else came out and defended Coach K, I think, speaks higher volumes as opposed to if nobody really came out to back uh, Coach Oates. So, yeah. is what it is. Like I said, I don't want to harp on it too much because. Why do we want to talk about them? They're not playing basketball, right? So let's talk about the teams that are playing. And, yeah. again, like you mentioned, there were some awesome games uh, this week, if you want to take us away with that and just hit some of those top, yeah. top matchups that we had. And well, let's kind we... of uh, – maybe it's a good transition because Duke is kind of in the middle of all the 
conversation like we just had, and we did just have the Big Ten ACC Challenge this week, and that was another just kind of headline at large that stood out to me was the dominance of the Big Ten in that event. Obviously, we Illinois, we saw them go to Cameron Indoor and beat Duke. North Carolina loses by double digits to Iowa. Uh, Ohio State wins a close game against Notre Dame. Uh, Penn State, very impressive win for them in yeah. Blacksburg on Tuesday. Uh, so, uh, you know, for two leagues that for the last couple seasons we've looked at and said these are the best two in college basketball, I think the Big Ten made a big statement this week. I 100% agree. I talked to numerous people about that um, who are like, I don't want to say old school type of people, but they, I feel like they're hesitant to hand over the reins to the Big Ten. They they just still feel like it's Carolina, it's Duke, right, and Virginia exactly. making their splash. Yeah, the Big mm-hmm. Ten stepped up in a huge way. They made a statement. Um, I think I said before the season started, I know you agreed with me, Big Ten is hands down the best conference um, in basketball, top to bottom. Um, and we saw, again, we mentioned some awesome games. Illinois coming out and, and doing what they did against Duke. Um, Iowa being very, very impressive. Uh, it was actually nice to see for the first time, I feel like, this year, where it wasn't Luca Garza being the uh, the end-all, be-all with that game. It was really the outside shooting. It was... It was uh, Weisskamp, it was uh, it was uh, McCaffrey, it was Bohannon. Right. To see those guys knocking down shots and really kind of like taking that pressure a little bit off of Garza um, was nice to see because, in my opinion, that's that's the difference-making point of that team. Like, if they're not knocking down shots, you, look, you can let Lucas score 45 and still win that game over right, Iowa. Because if, if they're not knocking you, down You're going to leave shots. the shooters open around them and they're not going to make them. What good is it? Right, exactly, exactly. So, for them, that was huge. Um but yeah, overall, and was, I was, was surprised by the way. One other thing on Iowa, like mm-hmm. I, I realize that this is kind of what they do, and these are the games they're going to play. But it does just feel weird seeing them regularly play these games in the '80s and '90s. You know, it just doesn't feel like yeah. Iowa. Yeah, real quick, uh, I asked my one buddy this. I haven't gotten a response from him yet. Luca Garza or Psycho T? Who who do you think at the end of their at the end of Garza's career? Who do you think was a more dominant college basketball player? You know, it's funny, I saw the announcers on uh, Tuesday night mentioning this because they obviously they were playing Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming Hansborough won the National Player of the Year at least once. Yeah. And last year, correct, it was Toppin, right, not Garza? Correct. Right. So, I mean, I guess from an accolade standpoint, and, and uh, now, granted, obviously Iowa very much in the thick of things this year, but uh, Carolina won a National Championship with Hansborough. If I'm remembering correctly, they beat Michigan State in 2009. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's going to be difficult from an accolade standpoint and just a resume to see Garza surpass Hansborough. But, I mean, we're both old enough to remember Hansborough playing at Carolina. I think I'd make the argument that just from an eye test, like who's the better basketball player? I would probably say Garza. Okay. Um, so I'm, you know, kind of trying to play both sides of the fence there. I realize, <laughs> um, but it, well, you know, so it, if, if Iowa wins the national title this year and Garza is is uh, the player of the year, player of the year. Then, then it's Garza, right? Then it's Garza. Okay. Okay. But I think you're asking a lot there to sure. Maybe not. I, I mean, Iowa's top five in the country, so yeah. That, that's that's because, I think it's hard. I think it's a hard question. I mean, obviously that's why I posed it. Um, because I feel like they're, even though they're both big men, they, they have totally different styles of play where, you know, Tyler Hansborough was just an absolute monster, and he was just going to out-hustle you to everything. He was going to get, like, at least say, 14 like points they, off I offensive rebounds. More outside shots. Yeah, yeah. I think if I'm, like, 
from a talent standpoint, I would pick Garza. Um, right. As I'm watching him now, and he just knocked down a three. Oh, my God. Um, whereas, again, Hansberry was a guy that he was just going to outwork you. You know, he didn't have all the talent in the world. And that goes – that's why he's not playing really at the next level or playing that long at the next level. Um, and I'm curious well, – Garza is an NBA player. Yeah, I think he is. Again, because of the, the fact that he can pull a guy outside, because that's, that's what the game is now, right? Like, you can't just be a right. dominant big guy in the, in the NBA. You have to be able to shoot from the outside and – and do some more things than just... Well, so it makes you wonder, like, you're a basketball guy through and through. Like, do you think that a he guy like Garza... He one, by the way. Oh, my God. So, yeah, do you level. think that a guy like Garza, if he played 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, do you think he's shooting from the outside? Or is that just part of his game that he kind of worked on in high school and his early years at Iowa, knowing that it was the way the game was going? Look, it's hard to answer that question because I don't know what he did as far as sure. you know, yeah, coming up in high school level and stuff like that. Because, look, I can tell you that the most of the players that I know um, that became really good big men started out as guards, right? Like, they unless they were just enormous at a young age. Like, most of these guys are – Yeah, what Anthony Davis was a guard. Exactly. Right, like, right. and that's and they're the ones that kind of translate to be the better players because they can do more as opposed to if you were just big out from the outset when you start playing. Right, like they were always shooting from the outset. Correct, correct, and and they're able to handle the ball, which is another big piece of it too. So, um, yeah, it's hard to answer that question because I don't know what he did as far as like you know growing up and then what he did in high school and stuff like that. But I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's always worked on all pieces of this game, and that's right. why he's so he's so dominant now. So. Lastly, before we get to the picks, um, obviously let's talk a little bit about a game that didn't happen last Saturday. The whole nation was looking forward to Gonzaga and Baylor. I'm just wondering if you did have a play in that game that got voided and just, uh, you know, at, at the top of college basketball between those two, you know, who's impressed you more early on? Man, that's tough. They've both been super, super impressive. Um you know, obviously with Gonzaga. By the way, dude, I don't know off the top of my head. I know they said they were postponing, not canceling. So do we know when they're playing that game? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything yet. I'm hoping they reschedule it. Uh, but I don't know if they uh, I don't know if they definitely are or not. Um, but, yeah, both, both teams have looked um, very, very good. Baylor, I think – I want to say Baylor kind of impressed me a little bit more. I think only because I wasn't as high – on Baylor as most of the country was. Um, so to see what they were able to do early on was impressive to me. And then again, what Gonzaga did with Jalen Suggs getting hurt um, and then being able to pull through without him. And then yeah, even that was bad was, too. it did, you know, they're lucky that he's not, you know, as, right. as injured as everyone probably felt to begin with. Um, but it was a shame the game didn't happen. I actually don't even remember what I had. I was trying to look back now. Yeah, I was curious if you had, cause I um, have a play. I, I felt like I, you know what? I did not. I didn't. I actually, now I remember, I tweeted out and said, because there was a, you know, it was a big question mark for Jalen Suggs. You didn't know if he was playing or not yet. Right. And then if he was even going to play, you didn't know at what level he was going to be able to play at because he wasn't 100%. To me, that makes it super difficult to handicap that kind of game, right? Like when you're talking about one of the major players within the game, um, starter, uh, and an impact player, if he's not in, or you don't, more so that you don't know, right? Like if I just knew, all right, he's going to play, but he's going to be limited. Okay, I can probably make an assumption on where I'm going to lean on that game. Sure. But to have no idea, which we didn't, I, I just said, hey, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy, hopefully, an incredible game. Uh, and then, unfortunately, it got canceled, and, you know, hopefully it gets rescheduled. But 
again, like it is with the season, it is what it is. You can't control it. You can only just enjoy the games you're getting and be thankful for it. Let's also just note, I, I want to bring this up because it's kind of coming to my attention for the first time so far this season. Gonzaga, I know that there's in prior Gonzaga years, there's always kind of questions about the legitimacy of the top seed, that they, whatever, whether they're on the one line, two line, whatever, because of the, the conference and whatever. But mm-hmm. non-conference this year yeah. played Kansas over Thanksgiving, beat them by double digits. Played West Virginia in the beginning of December. Next Saturday, they were scheduled to play Iowa in a game yeah. that should be awesome Yeah, in Iowa City. And obviously, we're hoping that this Baylor game gets rescheduled. So, I mean, that, that's four top 15 programs right. that they're playing non-conference. So, I don't think there's going to be any of those questions this year about Gonzaga. Yeah, and that's – look, I'm surprised, to be honest, it took Mark a few this long to – to figure, games, yeah. yeah, I mean, like that—that's obviously what hurt them. It not only hurt them from a, a right. seating standpoint, but but look at when you get to that level. Like I used to talk about it all the time with the old Big East and um, how tough that was. Like yeah. it was hard for them to play in the NCAA tournament because they would beat the shit out of each other all season long in conference. But there was always a couple teams that would rise up because they got beat up so bad in conference. You know what I mean? Like Gonzaga was a team that everybody was like, okay, yeah, they're good, they're talented, but. When they you, you need those up against, punches. Yeah, you got to. You got to figure out what you're made of because if you don't, like if you don't take a loss within the season, it's hard to figure out when you get into a position where, hey, we're down, what what are you going to do? What adjustments are you going to make? And I think that Mark Few figured out, hey, we need to start scheduling these top-level teams, not only to help us with our seating, but just to help us know ourselves and what we need to work on throughout the year to be able to get to that level for the NCAA tournament in order to make a uh, a true run. So kudos to him this year. He's not like Coach so K, right? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. He's kind of, you know, and that's funny too. Before, let's just make that point at large. Like one thing, like we saw this in college football last week, BYU and Coastal Carolina, they, yeah. they scheduled a game in three days. Awesome, and incredible. I always, I always wondered, right? We get these non-conference games that are scheduled a decade in advance, mm-hmm. and like, Bill, is there any? What am I missing? Like, is there a reason for why this is the way it is in college athletics? Like, we just saw a college football game between two teams that are trying to climb their way up the college football playoff rankings. That happened that quick notice, and you know we're yeah. seeing college basketball coaches tweet out, "Hey, I need a game." You know, yeah. why are we scheduling these non-conference games so far down the line? Well, I think it's because they're they're doing a lot of it is because it's like contracted, right? Like. Sure. The teams, I guess, yeah. get so much money and, you know, the revenue that comes in from them being televised and yada, yada, yada. That's why they schedule them all the way out in advance. But in a year like this, where, guess, like, it's like, hey. Point, like, they schedule them out in advance, and so they already have the right. the X amount of non-conference games filled exactly. up for a year. So yeah. then they yeah. only have, exactly. you know, Exactly. That's yeah. the thing with, like, Mark Field. I'm like, well, you know, he's been good for a long time. It's not like it's only been, like, two years, three years. It's right. been, it's been what, like, long enough where you think this would, like, hit him. Hey, I need right. to challenge my guys non-conference exactly exactly so all righty well let's get to it then as we do have some games to go through here on full slate let's get started with a game we both like and it's a nice in-state rivalry contest between a couple of teams that we expect to probably make some noise perhaps get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament and it is the Florida Gators traveling to Tallahassee to take on their in-state rival, the Florida State Seminoles. We're seeing Florida right now, it looks like, is two-and-a-half-point road underdogs in this game, a total of 139.5. And, Bill, I'll get us started here. I'm going to look to the Florida side here. 
Florida is hovering around the top 20 in Ken Palm's offensive and defensive efficiency rankings. And they have the best player in this game. Keontae Johnson is, you know, a beast, averaging close to 20 points per game. And he's that's a very efficient 20 points per game. He's shooting close to uh, 63% from the field. Um, and that that's the team that's the dog here. I realize, listen, Florida State, Leonard Hamilton's teams always kind of eat you up and grind you out defensively, and, and they really make you work for every bucket. But I watched a good chunk of that game because I actually had Florida State and lost. They won the game straight up but did not cover against Indiana. And I, I was just frustrated because they couldn't bury the Hoosiers, and the Hoosiers ended up taking that game into overtime and losing by two. And that's an Indiana team that, you know, I know it's the Big Ten, but they're still kind of in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, and, you know, maybe they're able to find their way into the NCAA tournament, but they're certainly not on the Iowa, Illinois, uh, you know, Michigan State tier in the league. And, you know, this is a Florida State team that I think has expectations of competing for an ACC regular season title. And Florida State just did not look to be that kind of team on Wednesday night uh, against the Hoosiers or Tuesday night, whenever it was. And they're really not that great of an offensive team so far. 212th in the nation in effective field goal percentage. Simply put, I think the wrong team's favorite here. Maybe if there were you know, a full crowd in Tallahassee for an in-state rivalry game, you could sell me on Florida State being short chalk, but not here. I like Florida plus the short number. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, most of the reasons that you stated, I saw, I can't tell you how many tweets I saw and people I know that commented, you're going to find out that Florida State needs to be in the consideration for the national championship. Really? Like, even if they <laughs> won that game, who who would they beat? They would have beaten Indiana at home, uh, who's Indiana? Right. Like they're they're not that big of a program right now. Yeah, Granted, Bobby Knight's Indiana. Right, Rangers. exactly. Like to me, when I kept hearing that, I'm like, I don't. What what am I missing here? Like, is this is is all of a sudden Isaiah Thomas going to come out and be starting point guard for Indiana? Right. I don't understand this. So when I kept hearing that, I was like, okay, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they come out and just absolutely demolish this Indiana team, and that's what people are talking about. You said it. It didn't happen. You know, they were barely able to squeak out that win. So. I think the discussion of Florida State being a national championship contender, at least in my mind, is dead. And until they prove me wrong, that's where my stance is going to be. Florida, on the other hand, is a team that kind of has been flying a little bit under the radar. Um, You mentioned Keontae Johnson, who's been phenomenal. Um, And I I, I see him playing another really good game against this Florida State team, which you mentioned, like, they can't put teams away. So even with a short number, um, which is sort of tempting sometimes to play the money line, right, just to get a a better juice. Uh, I'm going to be taking the points in it because of the fact yeah. that you just said, like, they're not going to probably be able to put them away. And if they don't, you it know, comes right down the wire. Going, you're going to want to have a possession in your back pocket it, there. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why I'm going to be on the, uh, on the Florida side. Yeah. And I just got in at Florida plus two and the hook. Uh, so obviously a pretty important hook there at two and a half. Let's move forward and go from an ACC team that, uh, you know, Bill and I are at least not interested in investing in tomorrow in Florida State, to one that you are interested in, Bill, and you're on uh, the Clemson Tigers by yourself on this one against Alabama. And, hey, you know, this could be an interesting look. Um, maybe it's part of your handicap, maybe it's not, but we talked a lot about Nate Oates and Alabama and, and in the headlines this week. How focused are they for this game going to Clemson? Uh, you know, they're a short underdog, you know, basically a pick em line here. I'm seeing minus one in the hook on Clemson, uh, whereas Clemson, you know, I'm sure was just kind of, 
you know, pedal the metal, head down, practicing this week, getting ready for the game. So uh, you you take it here, but I have to think that maybe is a little bit of the handicap, right? Yeah, that plays a little bit of a factor into it. Um, I think more so than anything is the fact that this Clemson team is arguably one of the best defensive teams in the country. Um, and I find that teams that are very, very strong defensively early on seem to be teams that have a lot of success. Reason being, most offenses, especially in the type of year we're in right now, they're not 100% like where everybody's on the same page. you got guys that are transferring in, you have guys that are freshmen, um, and you have limited practice time. Whereas defensive teams, like they're able to shut you down when you have all things clicking. If you have one spoke loose on that offensive machine, a team like Clemson is going to clamp you, and you're going to have trouble even moving the ball around on the offensive end. So I'm going to be playing Clemson. I'm going to be laying the short number with it. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with the line, to see if it goes. I'm, I'm really thinking it's going to tick up you know, past three. Um, but the fact that Bama is home, it might keep it at where it's at. I just don't – I'm not sold on – I mentioned it before, right, before the season started that I wasn't really sold on Bama. They had an awesome win against Providence. They absolutely smacked them. Um, so that was pretty impressive. But they also have a loss uh, – not even a loss. I mean, they got routed. They were down 18 to Stanford, who is not a great, great team. They're a decent Pac-12 team, but they're nowhere near the level um, in my mind that Clemson is. And you saw what Clemson did to Maryland – uh, this right. past week, he held them to 51 points, 15 points in the first half. Um, I, I'm going to be playing. I'm going to be playing Clemson for the simple fact that I think they shut down this Alabama team that is not super offensively efficient. Yeah, right, and, and that's the thing. At, at this short of a number, you're basically banking on Alabama to be able to keep up uh, with a Clemson team that we think can score. So um, certainly, I, I think an interesting look there. And as I said, I think in college athletics more so than the pros, not that it's not a factor in handicapping professional sports, but I do think that kind of emotional angle of uh, maybe, you know, was Alabama fully invested this week in their game prep and, and where are their heads at coming in? It, it also could just be a spot, right? Like, doesn't it feel like, you know, Nate Oates in the headlines this week and everybody's kind of, you know, lauding him for challenging Coach K, as ourselves included, and mm-hmm. it doesn't just kind of feel like, you know, the, the Duke faithful and, and anybody that was in Coach K's corner gets, gets a laugh here because Clemson yeah, okay. loses the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, again, but I, I just feel as though, you know, Clemson's defensive efficiency, they're number eight in the country. Sure. No, no, I, I understand, yeah. like, I'm just saying, I think. But that, yeah, that's uh, definitely that's definitely a story that will be told if if Clemson comes out and really smacks them around. Right, that's, exactly. That's, that's what we're here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to the Pac-12 here for a play that I like. Uh, I'm going to go out to the Pacific Northwest with the Oregon and Washington game, uh, and I am going to look at this total actually, uh, and I'm going to go over 136 and a half. Uh, in the game between the Ducks and the Huskies. Um, just kind of looked at the numbers here. Oregon games have averaged so far this year 146 total points. And, you know, we talked about Oregon being a team that we weren't really interested in investing in early on in the season, especially with a lot of transfers coming in and just some moving pieces there for the program. And, uh, um, you know, so I'm not interested in giving seven points here. Um but I do think, you know, as I said, we're getting some nice value here at 136.5 going over when we've seen Oregon games average so far 146 total points. And while Oregon has had some turnover within its program, they're still scoring the ball pretty well, 15th in offensive efficiency. Um, and then Washington is mostly a bottom feeder in the Pac-12, uh, not expected to really be much of a factor this year. Um, but I do think it's worth noting, relevant, 
that they've, uh, you know, their last two games offensively were a lot better uh, in terms of just their production. They scored 73 points against Seattle and 62 points against Utah, whereas in their first couple games, they were, I think one of them, they were even in the 40s. I'm pulling up their schedule right now to double-check it. Um, but, uh, yes, they were 42 points against UC Riverside and only scored 52 against Baylor. So point point I'm trying to make here is the Huskies have at least found themselves a little bit more on the offensive side of the floor, and they did just blow the doors off Seattle 73-41. to 41. So I would expect them to at least be a confident bunch, uh, a little bit more at least getting their first win and be able to score enough with Oregon to get this game over what I believe to be a pretty low total for an Oregon game at 136.5. Bill, I know you're not on this game, but anything here between these two teams that just makes you – I know we both kind of were dug in as anti-Oregon early on. Yeah, they kind of surprised me a little bit. They're playing better than I expected them to play. Um, And you mentioned the fact they're, what, top 15 in offensive efficiency. Yeah. Uh, And on the other side of that, Washington is a team – that I feel like they really didn't have an identity at the beginning of the season. We're still in the beginning of the season, but the first couple of games, for the simple right. fact they didn't know what was going on with Nazir Washington, right? Um, sure. Nazir? Am I getting that right, Nazir? Yeah. Um, so, like, <laughs> the fact that he finally, like, no, and nobody was talking about, like, exactly what was going on. I still don't know what happened. Um, but the right. fact that he was, like, suspended indefinitely or whatever, um, and then finally he decides, all right, I'm just going to leave school and I'm going to focus on turning pro for next year. Um, I think that kind of, you know, lift a little bit of weight off of these guys. Over yeah, the it was like, okay. We don't have to, like, we're not just filling a hole for him right now until he comes back. It's okay. Now, this is whoever that is. I don't know who it is, but somebody's taking his role now, and it's like, okay, this is my team now. I need to run I need to run the show. And I feel like they've, they've seemed a little more comfortable offensively. So the fact that you're playing the over in here um, does intrigue me because I think that that would be a play to make much more so than playing the under and against the Pac-12 and everybody likes to score out there anyway. So <laughs> I would leave it over as well. Exactly. Let's take a break, and we'll get to a few more consensus plays uh, as we wrap things up here on Full Slate. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed can help you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, by total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. 
That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by Bill. You know him on gambling Twitter as Larry's Locks 2. It's where you can find his picks and subscribe to become one of his clients. Um, we are running through some more college basketball Saturday picks. Um, already gave out a few. We're going to keep running here. We have a, a couple more consensus plays which we'll get to but Bill I want to let you first take the reins on a game that's a little more off the grid but remember all tickets cash the same it's East Tennessee State as a five-point home dog against UAB total of 135 and a half and you're going to be on East Tennessee State here why don't you rip and run yeah I'm not gonna have too too much to talk about this game because I haven't had too much time to dive into it However, for the simple fact, looking at the game, UAB being 5-0, and East Tennessee State 1-2 and um, with a losing record. They're at home. Uh, it's a short number, like you mentioned, uh, which kind of intrigued me. And then I went back to look at, uh, real quick, who, who UAB had played, and uh, I don't think they've played anybody of real substance. They played Tuskegee, I guess, against the Airmen. Uh, they lost. They won, they won by 25, but again... They, it's, it's interesting. You see all these teams now that you've never seen before because of how crazy the schedule's been. Um, so I think that the fact that UAB, even though they're undefeated, they haven't played anybody well. Uh, and East Tennessee State is a program that kind of has always been a team that, you know, seems to make a run within their own conference tournament and pops up in the NCAA tournament from time to time. Um, makes me lean that way. So, again, I don't have too, too much data on it. It's just a first glance that I really liked um, seeing that number. I expected it to be a little bit higher than that. Uh, so I'll, I'll likely be playing it, and I'll likely have better reasons for it by tomorrow morning. Uh, <laughs> but that's where I stand as of what time is it? Eleven o'clock here on a Friday evening. On Friday evening, yeah, that's fair. Uh, one thing I will say, and I do think it's even more important when you're talking about the uh, mid-major programs, is just that strength of schedule because obviously it's going to be a lot harder to get a feel for uh, just how good they are if, if they're not playing anybody and depending on what league you play in. I mean, we, we finished talking about Gonzaga there in the first half, uh, you know, before we got into our picks and how, you know, some conferences, you know, some teams are probably content to just play cupcakes non-conference and try and do their best in their conference schedule and get into the NCAA tournament in any way, shape, or form. So um, I think the point that you make about UAB uh, having a soft non-conference strength of schedule so far is well taken. Uh, let's move on and get to another consensus play. Um, where uh, we're going to look to the American Athletic Conference here in a non-conference game. Uh, Memphis is a six-and-a-half, seven-point home favorite against Auburn, total of 145 in this one. And we're both going to like the Memphis side here. I got six-and-a-half. And I think, first off, you're getting Memphis a little cheap because Memphis is just two and four against the spread to start the season. Now, Auburn, on the other hand, 0-4 against the spread. But I think the point that I'm making here is we talked about Auburn being a team that we weren't that interested in and thought was going to be in for a down year in the SEC. So if you're backing that kind of team, it's almost more because you're playing against the, their opponent and not necessarily playing on them. 
And, you know, if Memphis had come out of the gates and was dominating, you know, and covering numbers left and right, then I think you can certainly make an argument that maybe there would eventually get to a point where the number would either say, you know, it's a pass or you might even look to the Auburn side. But here at six and a half, seven, I just think it's a great spot here to take Memphis because Auburn, as I said, continues to kind of find itself and, you know, they're not really that good, plain and simple. Uh, They're averaging... Uh, 77 points a game so far this season, so they can score. But in one of the losses, Auburn's 2-2 two and two straight up, 0-4 against the spread. In one of the losses, Auburn only scored 55. They lost to Central Florida 63-55 to a couple weeks ago, back on November the 30th. The reason why I think that's extra important here is because UCF is in that American Conference and was picked to finish 8th in the league. And Auburn lost to them straight up. So now I realize this you know, they're still getting six and a half points here. But Memphis was picked, picked to finish second in the conference, you know. And it, yeah. so if, if we're talking about Auburn losing to Central Florida by eight points, you know, if that same margin were to happen here with a much better Memphis team, then we're getting a cover with the Tigers. And I obviously think that Memphis is probably going to win this game by double digits. Four returning starters for Memphis. And this was something we talked about. I think we both liked Memphis earlier in the year in a game they got four returning starters back, and yeah, they just had James Wiseman go number two overall in the NBA draft, but he barely played for them anyway last year. So I think that it's a Memphis team that, for the most part, is pretty comfortable with its horses and and who they have there. Um, You know, obviously, Landers Nolly coming over, the transfer from Virginia Tech, and just a lot of guys back, whereas Auburn, as I said, no returning starters, self-imposed postseason ban, it's going to be a down year for Bruce Pearl and company. I think Memphis wins this game by double digits. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Um, the thing that stuck out to me when I was when I was looking at this game uh, was the teams, obviously, that uh, Auburn had played previously. And you mentioned they were two and two straight up. Uh, the two the two wins they have, the first win being against uh, St. Joe's. St. Joe's, Joe's, right, in St. overtime. Joe's, yes, in overtime. St. Joe's is 238th in defensive efficiency. Let's take their other win against South Alabama, you know, the strong, strong South Alabama team, 301st in defensive efficiency. I, I forgot to include Memphis's defensive efficiency, but why don't you take it from here? Exactly. So that's what I was alluding to. Gonzaga being a top, what are they, they're 14th in, in, in defensive efficiency. They lost all, also to Central Florida, who is 69th. Nice defensive efficiency. Memphis is number 11 in defensive efficiency. They are going to, much like Clemson, I foresee them clamping down uh, on this Auburn team, who struggles to score as it is, a team that is similar to me in the mindset of where Coach K is taking his Duke team. Look, Auburn's in trouble. Are they, they can't play the tournament, is that correct? Yeah. They already made that ban. self-imposed ban, just like LSU right. football decided to do when they're having yeah, a exactly. down that nice? your, uh, yeah. ban. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so I don't think this Auburn team – I'm going to be – honestly, I'm going to be fading them a ton all year for, right. this, for the reasons we've talked about previously. Um, but when I looked at this game and I saw how, how well uh, Memphis is playing on the defensive side of the ball, like I, I can't not take them. Um, and you said you foresee them being winning by double digits. I, I see the same thing. I, I, I would feel more comfortable um, – or I should say I'd feel more confident seeing Memphis win by 20 than I would see them losing outright in this game. So, you know, when I look at it that right. way, and I see they're given the number of seven. seven Talking about half. higher variance, yeah. Exactly. That's, that, that's why another reason why I'd lean 
uh, Memphis being a play. But, yeah, they're definitely going to be a play for me for sure. Um, they might be a team that – or might be a game here where I double-dip a bit, um, similar to what I'm doing on Marquette tonight where I, I took the first half, but I'm also taking a full game uh, as well. So some agreement there on the Memphis side as we move along. A uh, couple more games to get through here. Uh, Bill, you're going to ride solo on this one. Uh, the Dakota Showcase wrapping up in Sioux Falls on Saturday. And uh, obviously South Dakota State, this is a team we've talked about uh, as a uh, team to keep an eye on, a mid-major that is, I think, very legit and has a chance to maybe win a few games in the NCAA tournament when the whole world gets to see them, uh, provided we can get there, fingers crossed. But obviously they've been impressive so far. South Dakota State has that, you know, obviously that win over Iowa State stands out, Power 5 program, who they beat on the road. Um, and, you know, these are always games that I think, you know, against your, your in-state rivalry game here against South Dakota, and, you know, South Dakota State uh, is coming off of a double-digit victory against North Dakota. They beat North Dakota State by two earlier in this event. So, you know, I think obviously some territorial uh, edges here for South Dakota State. Obviously, these are all Summit League teams, but, you know, chance to prove that they are the best team in the Dakotas. I mentioned that game against Iowa State that they won, also a non-conference win against Utah State, a cover, I believe, against West Virginia. So, obviously, it's a mid-major program that is worth keeping an eye on. You like them here against South Dakota. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that they're they're that team, to me at least, um, that I will definitely be having them advance past the first round if they're in the uh, the big dance this year. They, they are just that type of team. Um, where, you know, you look at them, they're what they're called the Jackrabbits. They're from South Dakota. Nobody really cares. Um, (laughs) But they're they're top, what, 35th, I think they are, in offensive efficiency. Um, Their defense leaves a little bit to be desired. However, you know, this team they're going to be playing in in, in state rivalry. South Dakota is 197th in offensive efficiency. They're almost 300 defensively. They really have nothing going for them. And when you look at games like this, um, I don't know how much in basketball to an extent, more so it's usually in football when you see these in-state rivalries. I usually like to take the team that is getting the points because it always seems like yeah, a team sure. you know, st- you know, steps up a little bit more than normally would in a normal game. And typically, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think that's also a, an interesting angle for football. We saw a couple of weeks ago Oregon State wins the game outright against Oregon in that Civil War game that right. pretty much ended the Pac-12's hopes of the college football playoff again. But... Having said that, we did see Arizona State tonight in football just beat up on Arizona. So two sides yeah, to every story. Exactly. And I lean to, like, see what the line does. You know, I've mentioned a million times. Right. I'm a big line movement type of guy. Um, and the fact the line came out at 14. Like, if this guy, if this line came out shorter, like, it was a single digit, I'd kind of be like, well, what's going on here? How come, you know, South Dakota State has some, some decent wins. Uh, South Dakota has no wins yet this season. Right. Um, so, you know, why, why aren't they – favored by more. So the fact that it's 14 and I expect it to go up um, a bit more than that by, by tip-off tomorrow uh, is just more indicative to me to, to be playing South Dakota State. I think they're going to take this game serious because it's an in-state rivalry, um, and I think they're going to just probably pull the doors off of them. I don't I don't expect this to be much of a game at all. I see them keeping them at, at a, you know, arm's length, about 20-some points per, you know, most of the game, and, and, and not be much of a sweat at all. I'm sure tomorrow by 11 o'clock tomorrow, I'll be pissed off because we'll see a South Dakota upset <laughs> outright, right? <laughs> right. The way I'm talking about it right now, but I really, I really would be shocked. I expect South Dakota State to get the job done here and and uh, and win easily. 
So let's wrap things up with a pretty intriguing game uh, between an SEC and Big Ten team. We're seeing the Missouri Tigers welcome in the Illinois Fighting Illini down to Columbia, Missouri, and we're seeing the Tigers being installed as a short-home underdog in this game. Um, Missouri is a two, two-and-a-half-point dog total in this game of 141 uh, and Bill and I are both going to look to the Missouri side here. Uh, this is just one of those lines. I mean, if you've been betting long enough, you know that these short road favorites can be very, very trappy, especially when it looks like, oh, you know, here we have an Illinois team just off a victory against Duke, a top five team traveling to Missouri, unranked team. You know, how many people are going to look to, you know, just having just saw the Illinois win over Duke and see that number in front of Illinois and see no number in front of Missouri and think all I got to do is give two points to back Missouri or excuse me to back Illinois. You know, that seems way too easy. And this is normally when the house beats the public pretty good uh, for that reason. And so um, I think it's definitely Missouri or pass. And so then what it comes down to is, well, do I like the other team enough? Is there are there enough reasons for me to get to the window with that you know, dog that nobody, you know, the public's going to fade, fade, fade. And I think that in the case of Missouri, there absolutely are. I mean, Bill, I know that you talked about them a couple of weeks ago when we did pod leading up to their game against Oregon, and I tailed that pick as Missouri, as a short underdog, won that game outright in a neutral side event against the Ducks. And, you know, Conzo Martin's team looks like they might be a little bit of a sleeper this year in college basketball. We talked about some under-the-radar teams, and I don't know if we mentioned Missouri in in the SEC as a sleeper necessarily, but it's starting to look that way just in terms of what they've done so far. 4-0 straight up, 3-1 against the spread. And the one non-cover, I took a bad number here. Uh, I pushed on Liberty plus 9, but on Wednesday night they win by 9, and it looked like they closed 9.5, 10-point chalk against the uh, Liberty Flames. So, you know, even their one game where they didn't cover, they were right on the numbers. So I think it's a Missouri team that, you know, they're 45th overall in the Ken Palm rankings, and that might not seem that impressive. Oh, you know, 45th overall. Okay, so they're a, they're a fringe NCAA tournament team. But, again, it's a Missouri team that, as I said, was picked to finish 10th in the SEC. So I think there's some things working in Mizzou's favor here. And, you know, while Illinois looks to be, very legit, and I would not be surprised at all if Illinois made a deep run, maybe got to a Final Four. I do think there's something to the fade off the big win angle here that I'm going to be playing with taking Missouri, because this is an Illinois team that is tasting this kind of success for the first time in two decades, really, as a program, basically. You'd have to go back to the early 2000s when Illinois was talked about this highly in national circles. So I think there could be a little fat and happy here riding off that win at Duke. And, uh, you know, eventually these teams are going to underperform. And, and, and how do they deal with those expectations early on? So far they're doing well. I think maybe a little bit of a letdown spot. All of that, I think, makes me translate more towards Missouri in the first half, though, than the full game. So I think that's probably – and you think about it, if Missouri's going to win this game, they're probably going to have to get off to a good start. So I think my better play here is going to be to take the Tigers uh, – in the first half plus the short number. Yeah, I have no argument with the first half play. I, I likely will be playing the full game. Um, and this is a type of game where I think I mentioned before, what I tend to do when I begin my handicapping process is I kind of, I don't look at the spread yet. I just look at the game and I try and figure out what I would put the spread at. And this is a game where I was pretty shocked about it because not the fact that it was um, a short number, 
but how short of a number it was. I put, I put this at a four and a half or five point spread in my mind when I looked at the game for the reasons you stated. Um, Illinois being possibly fat and happy, knocking off Duke. You know, again, I can't stand talking about them this much, but, you know, the, all the headlines we've seen at Duke, but they could be sitting around saying, hey, we put that program out. You know what I mean? Like, they're the reason that Coach K decided, shit, we, we're going to shut this thing down now and, and move on with the rest of the season just being conference play. Um, and Missouri's a team that is is not a bad team. They have they have quality wins already. You mentioned they beat Oregon. They beat a, a Liberty team. Um, that's decent. They beat a Wichita team that's not great, but a strong program, and you know they continue to build even though they've lost their coach um, this season. So they have some good wins out there. Uh, I think they're going to take this as a, a obviously a huge resume builder for them come tournament time if they're able to get this win. And the fact that the number I saw, I believe, open at one and a half. It's already up to two and a half, maybe. Um, and I want to. I might wait to play it, just kind of hoping it ticks up hoping more it keeps and more. Going, right. Yeah, and you know, normally I'm against that because I usually try to tend to, to play the Vegas side of it there. But um, I just, I just am shocked that it was that low to, to begin with. So hopefully it ticks up more and more, and I'm able to get a better number come tomorrow. Um, but honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if we see. Missouri uh, snag an upset win here, a huge win for their program, and again, a huge resume builder for, for them come tourney time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, there's a Missouri team that, hey, you're 4-0. Why aren't you thinking about NCAA tournament? And just, I mean, obviously in the program, they're probably just thinking about Illinois and the coach speak stuff. But I think, you know, from a, a you know, if you're a Missouri fan or if you've been around the team, you probably have to be thinking, all right, well, we started well. We already have a win over Oregon, who, while we're not that high on him, we still probably think Oregon's an NCAA tournament team. So that's a win that could certainly help Missouri come March. Here's another opportunity in the non-conference. And, and, hey, if you're Illinois, I mean, you just beat Duke. Like, it just lines up as a nice flat spot because they know that they are they can compete with anybody in the country. And the most recent data point indicates that. So even if Illinois is to drop this game, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, I'm going to crash on Illinois. And I don't think anyone is. It just feels like the right spot to bet against them. So, um, yeah, definitely. I'm not. Yeah, I don't want to sit here and say like I'm I'm anti Illinois at all. Like, right. I, we talked about it before. Like, they are my team in the Big Ten uh, to get the job done this year. And I, I again, we've talked about this before, and it's one of my favorite sayings: a blessing in disguise. This could end up being a blessing in disguise if they if they end up taking a loss here and kind of wake them up early on right. in the season. Go, oh, you know, we do have that target on our back now, especially after beating that Duke program. Um, and then they take the rest of these, you know quote-unquote, lighter teams more seriously. So who knows? I'm excited for it. I'll be playing the uh, playing the points. I doubt I'll be playing the money line, um, only because it's not, to me it's not going to be worth it. The juice is going to be so low that I'd rather just take those points and have them in hand. God forbid it's a tight game. Sure. Well, there he is, Bill Christie. You can find him on gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover. Greg, Bill, this was fun. Let's enjoy some more college hoops. Absolutely. Good talking to you. This has been another edition of Full Slate. Tune in to our NFL episodes weekly and college basketball. We'll do these once a week as well, taking you all the way to the big dance. Of course, enjoy your weekends and please play responsibly.